You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. I would like to begin by paying my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional custodians of the land on which I am coming to you from today. Land where at Brainwaves we tell our stories, and land where the traditional custodians have told their stories for many, many years before us, and continue to tell their stories. I would like to pay my respects to Elders past and present, and acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners who are listening today. Hello and welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR 855am on your dial app or digitally. My name is Flick Manning and I'm your host. Brainwaves is a mental health-focused show with a lived experience lens, and today my guest is Gemma White. Gemma is a poet living with bipolar who grew up in Geelong but now resides in Melbourne. Her first book of poetry, Furniture is Disappearing, was published in 2014 by Interactive Press. Her follow-up book, Oh My Rapture, was published last year. It is a poetic response to Nick Cave's Red Hand Files, though all poems stand alone as well. Gemma has been published in lots of places, but notably in the Best Australian Poems and award-winning Australian writing anthologies. You might like Gemma's work if you like Charles Bukowski's writing or the music of Courtney Barnett. And you can buy her books from her online shop at gemmawhite.com.au. So Gemma, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Hello. (laughs) So nice to have you. Now, as one writer to another, I'm very excited about this interview. I always love to understand what inspires a person to write. And poetry is such a beautiful art form, which can be deeply expressive and thought-provoking in the way that it can express emotions and also the experiences of mental health too. Gemma, if you could describe your earliest experiences of bipolar to our audience, that would be great. Sure. So I was only kind of diagnosed with bipolar quite late on. Uh, um, I had an episode, like a psychotic episode, um, in my early to mid twenties. I can't exactly remember how old I was, but early to mid twenties. And they basically didn't know what was going on with me. And so they said I was schizophrenic and then they said I was schizoaffective disorder. And so it took a long time for them to kind of correctly diagnose me and, I guess my experiences were at the time in that first episode that I was quite afraid and I was paranoid and I just had no clue what was going on. And before that episode happened, I had been very stressed out with a relationship that um, it was an open relationship and that's not the kind of relationship for me. So that was stressing me out and work was stressing me out. So there was a lot of stress happening at that time. Uh, so there was a lot of things that might have contributed to the onset of these unusual experiences. And I was having hallucinations both 
oral hallucinations and um, visual hallucinations. And at the peak of my psychotic episode, I went to a Pink concert, which I didn't even like Pink's music, so I don't know what I was doing there. And I had this huge like hallucination on the big screen of the concert area. And I just ran out of the place screaming my head off because I just was in another state, obviously. And so I've had some pretty full-on kind of psychotic experiences. And the most full-on ones were those early ones before I was properly on medication. Thank you so much for sharing that. What do you think people should know about the realities of bipolar that maybe they're not being informed about because they don't have that own lived experience themselves. This is just from my own experience, but I think when you're in a depression, it can be very debilitating. Like for me, it just felt like I just couldn't get off the couch, you know, like I just couldn't at that point in time. And my partner at the time didn't really understand what was going on for me. And he's like, you got to get off the couch. You got to do stuff. What are you doing? Kind of thing. I think it's easy to judge someone when they're in a depression, like they should be doing more or they should be doing this or that, but the the person is doing the best that they can at that moment in time. And I think it's good to remember that and just to give people space to be how they are. There have been times in my life where I've just needed time to be how I am And it doesn't mean I'm going to be that way for the rest of my life. It just means in that moment, my body is doing something. My mind is doing something that it needs to do to repair itself. Because I view this thing where you have a manic episode and then my body kind of goes into a funk, but it's because it's recovering for the manic episode. Like you can't just have a manic episode and then the next day be okay again, like You know, it takes time to recover, for the brain to recover, I think. Like, I'm not a medical person, but that's just my feeling from having gone through that kind of stuff, that the the mind and the body needs time to recover, and you need those kind of down times. And you might be judged for having the down times, but they're still integral to recovery. I think that's such a, a wonderful sort of way of putting it so people to be able to understand that there is a recovery element to it and that like you said you're doing the best that you can when you're going through these things I think it's a, it's a very interesting perception by the public a lot of the time around mental health experiences that you're just not trying hard enough but you just worded that so beautifully and I think that we do need to listen to people with lived experience so much more than we actually do. So I know you've already touched on this a little bit Gemma but can you sort of take us through I guess, some of the the different ways or even circumstances where your mental health condition has challenged your ability to function easily in life. Like I haven't had an episode for quite a long time now because I've been on really stable medication, which has been really good for me. But when I was more unstable, basically whenever I had an episode, my whole life would be bulldozed. You know, it's like there was just tumbleweed left. Like there was nothing left. Like my, I'd lost my job. I'd lose relationships. Uh, sometimes my housing would be uncertain. Like 
it's like, you know, if you don't have your mental health, you don't have much because so much depends on your mental health. And when I can't retain my mental health, everything is at risk. So like um, recently my psychiatrist was thinking about changing my medication because there was a biological reason to perhaps change it. But I was really um, reluctant because I've been stable on, I'm on lithium and a few other uh, medications and I've been stable on it for a long time and I just don't want to risk having that bulldozer come back through my life because I'm quite happy with my life at the moment. So, um, yeah, I think medication is a huge part of it. And I still find it hard to balance everything. And I don't know how much of it is just Gemma being unmanageable or how much of it is Gemma being someone with bipolar. Like, I still don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe people adult better than I do. And I don't know who to blame for that. I fully, fully get what you mean. It can be hard to differentiate it, especially, I mean, it's sort of a part of you, isn't it? So how is your poetry affected by your mental health? And then how is your mental health affected by your poetry? My poetry is affected by my mental health because, I mean, I write about it. And uh, it's also affected by my mental health because I've had some really weird experiences, like... Most people don't have the kinds of experiences that people with mental illnesses have. And I think this actually, like, I kind of use this to my advantage because in the way that I write poetry, and I've actually had quite a few people that have bipolar reach out to me and say, oh, I really felt, you know, I really felt that experience you know, I resonated with your descriptions and your experience as you tell it in this book. And it's the book is not all about bipolar. It's just a couple of poems mention it. Um, but people really resonate with it. I'll see if I can find the poem. I'd like to read it because there's a poem that talks about this in particular. I'll just try to find it. Here we go. This is poem 26. I'll just read this and then you can see what I'm talking about. 26. I have a condition, an indoctrination, that gives me mysterious abilities. Some call it an illness. I have seen things no one else has seen, heard things that are not there. My life has been poorer and richer for it. At the beginning, it was all fear, but sometimes ecstasy. A bold feeling of power, a united expression of love. Other times I'd cry, still believing the voices in my head. These days I try not to get tricked. Being sane is more boring, but it's also more comforting. Now I look for magic in the morning commute. I take my pills morning and night, and the mysteries are kept at bay. So I'm pretty much directly talking about this mysterious knowledge that you kind of get indoctrined into when you have a mental illness. And I've been in like different clinics and mental hospitals, and there's kind of this shared like communication between 
uh, clients in those places that the nurses don't understand, you know, like it's, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like metaphysical or if it's spiritual or if it's whatever, but something exists when you've had a mental illness, you kind of join some kind of club or something and (laughs) it's just there. So that's how the mental illness affects the poetry and the poetry affects the mental illness because it just helps me so much to get my thoughts onto paper and to even write about the mental illness is really helpful because when I was growing up, like my parents did their absolute best, but my mum had bipolar and my dad didn't want to talk about it. You know, like it was just this thing that was happening that we weren't talking about. And so that's why I like talking about bipolar in my poems because it should be talked about and because people don't need to feel alone with their bipolar or whatever it is they have. You know, we can kind of support each other through talking about it with each other. Yeah, beautifully put. And um, by the way, I really loved in the poem where you talked about being both sort of richer and poorer for the experience of that. I think a lot of people with mental health conditions will understand what that means. I certainly do, even though it's not specific to bipolar itself, but to mental health generally. And yeah, we're all part of this one very unique club with our own special language and our own special experiences of the world. Uh, Now, Jeva, what inspired you to write poetry that celebrates Nick Cave, I guess in particular, but also music, love and ecstasy? Well, I was reading Nick Cave's Red Hand Files, which is a blog online thing where you can actually ask questions of Nick Cave and then he gives answers. So they're all answers to fans, all his blog entries. And I just thought his answers were so poetic and just his choice of language was so beautiful. So when I first wrote the poems, they actually incorporated some of his words in them because my poems are responses to his uh, blog entries. But when I went to his management to say, hey, I'm doing this book and I want to include some of his words in it, they, they didn't support it. They didn't want that to happen. So I had to kind of reframe the book so that it was just my words and it didn't use any of his words. So it's still a response, but it doesn't directly take any matter from his from his stuff. I think I write about writing because from about when I was 16, I wanted to be a rock star and it never quite happened because I was so shy. And, um, you know, I saw PJ Harvey on Rage doing This Is Love and I thought, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. And so I kind of blundered through trying to learn guitar and I still don't know how to play guitar, but I can write songs. So that's one thing. But um, I've just always had that as a kind of dream and it'll probably never happen because I'm kind of too old for it to happen now and thank God for that. So maybe I can just do music as a thing that I love and not have to worry about being a rock star now. But um, it's been this ongoing battle with that part of me that wants to be a rock star and me going, that's not going to happen and it's too scary 
And I've got another poem here, if I can find it, that is all about this. So this is poem 40. The dream was dressed in black fishnets. The dream was too loud. The dream was willed by my future self. So yes, it was scary. So I put the dream on the bookshelf behind Patty Smith for safekeeping, where it still haunted me. And then one day I took the dream down and tried it on and it still fit. I say, I reclaim my dream, even if it's too loud and willed by my future self. Even if it's scary, I will not put it back on the shelf. Slowly I begin to sing, as every sorrow lifts, as every hurt heals. My dream is growing to fit myself as Patti Smith applauds from the bookshelf. So um, that's kind of a poetry way of saying how I put my dreams on the shelf because they were too scary. And the, the music thing was too scary for a long time. But now I'm actually doing music with my partner, so it's not quite so scary as it used to be, which is fun. And um, we're going to a rehearsal studio every week and trying some ideas out and I'm getting used to singing for longer than five minutes at a time so that's good <laughs> that's amazing exciting I hope, I hope one day we all get to hear what the results are of the rehearsal studio times it's very good as I think here in my Shirley Manson from garbage shirt I, <laughs> I completely and utterly relate to all of that so yeah that's so exciting what a wonderful way to kind of express that experience but then also to know that you're still Pursuing it, you have taken the dream down off the shelf. How wonderful. If you're struggling with drugs, alcohol, gambling or food, or concerned about somebody who is, tune in to The Living Free Show on 3CR at 1pm every Thursday. I don't know how I got there, but and I couldn't stop it. I had stopped expecting that anybody cared. Never enough. I'm never enough. It's never enough. He's never enough. That was the confusion. Tune in to Living Free, stories of recovery from addictive behaviour, Thursdays at 1pm on 3CR. Or listen at 3CR on digital radio or podcasts and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. Being able to centre myself and be okay in myself and turn my world around. Living Free. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's Voice of Descent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. Welcome back to Brainwaves on 3CR 855 AM on your dial. My name is Flick Manning and today I am talking to Gemma White, poet and author of Oh My Rapture. 
Gemma, many people with mental health conditions experience cycles of grief related to their diagnosis or the diagnosis process or sometimes just the symptoms. Do you relate to this? And if so, how do you process that grief? I think the only time I have kind of grief is when I compare myself to other people. Like there was a period where I was comparing myself to my brother and my brother doesn't have a mental illness and he's a lovely guy. And, you know, he has a partner of, I think it's 10 years and, um, they've just bought a house in Geelong. And so I feel, sometimes I feel like I'm the black sheep because like I've just had a very unconventional life and I haven't done any of the adulting kind of things. I haven't had a kid. I'm not married. I did go to uni, but there are some things that I just haven't done and it might be because I have a mental illness that I haven't done them. Like, I wouldn't want to have a child because I have a mental illness, but other people, that wouldn't be an issue for them. For me, that's my decision. I don't think I would be a reliable enough mother to do that. And that might just be a form of selfishness in my own personality as opposed to the fact that I have a mental illness or maybe I'm making the mental illness an excuse or maybe I just don't like children that much. I don't know. But yeah, there's definitely some things that I haven't kind of achieved or the usual barometers of adulthood I probably haven't really achieved apart from having a job. And that feels like a miracle. Even doing that just feels like a miracle to me, working full time. Because when I last had an episode and I was doing job interviews to get a new job, I had an interview and they said, oh, this is a full-time job. And I mean, I knew because I'd been, I'd seen the ad, but I didn't actually know if I could work full-time. Like I had no idea what my capacity would be because I'd just been on the doll and doing volunteer work leading up to that. And so, um, like I kind of just went for it and hoped for the best. (laughs) Um, so yeah. I don't know what I was answering. I don't know what what question I'm answering anymore, but. <laughs> no, I think you beautifully answered it. We were just talking a little bit about, you know, the, if you sort of have a sensational feeling of grief because of your condition or because of, you know, the symptoms or the diagnosis process or any of those things are related to having a mental health condition because a lot of people do experience sort of grief cycles related to that. Uh, I think it only happens when I compare myself to others. And people have asked me, would you, if you had your life again, would you choose not to have a mental illness? And that's a really hard question to answer because I like the richer or poorer idea in some ways, it's given me a lot of really crazy, interesting experiences. And for a writer, that's not a bad thing. Um, you know, like it's not the only thing I write about, but it is part of what I write about and it's part of my worldview because once you've had a psychotic episode, your mind is so open, I reckon, compared to people that haven't because in a psychotic episode, anything can happen, you know, like crazy, crazy stuff can happen. You can see things that supposedly aren't there, you know, you can hear things that aren't there, but they feel so real. So it's hard to say whether I would choose it again, but it's interesting that it's 
hard to say, you know, like you would think someone else might think, well, of course you wouldn't choose that. Why would you inflict that on yourself? But um, it's such a unique experience. And I, I really believe it's a spiritual experience to have a mental illness. And I don't think you would be alone in that, that experience either. I think a lot of people listening will certainly think, yeah, that's how I feel. That's how I feel about it too. And, you know, again, you, you're able to pour some of that into a creative outlet, which is something, you know, very special as well. And on that, on Oh My Rapture, what do you hope to achieve? What's your big picture aim with the release of Oh My Rapture? Well, well I wanted to put out a book that I was really happy with. And I am really happy with this book because, um, my first book, Furniture is Disappearing, I just wasn't very, like, I think it's a good book, but I just wasn't very aware of what I was doing because it was my first book. And I actually felt a bit ashamed of it because I was like, oh, who am I to put a book out? Oh, you know, like, um, and so I was really bad at promoting it and I, like, it just, didn't sell because I didn't promote it because I was too ashamed that I actually had a book out and all this kind of stuff. But with this new book, Oh My Rapture, I've kind of got over myself and I'm just like, I've got a book out. Read it if you want. Don't read it if you don't want. It's fine. And um, so, yeah, just being happy with the book and sharing it with other people. And um, I've got a, like a little Etsy store where I sell the books and people have been buying it and it's really cool to share it with people. Yeah, especially when some of them are relating so personally to at least some of the subject matter that must feel really special. Yeah, it is. I, lo I love getting feedback. I love getting people commenting on it and telling me what they think about it and what resonated with them. Yeah, a lovely experience. Well, Gemma, as I knew we would, we've just burned through our time together. So I just want to uh, thank you so much for sharing your experience about bipolar, but also in your writing as well with us. And I do hope that everyone listening will grab themselves a copy of Oh My Rapture. We'll obviously have the links so that you can get through and grab a copy of that on the page. And again, thank you so much, Gemma, for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Flick. My pleasure. Everyone listening at home, you can grab Oh My Rapture from gemmawhite.com.au. As I said, the link will be available for you to click through as well. You can also catch us here on Brainwave, same time, same place next week. And you can also listen to all of our replays on the 3CR website and via Spotify as well. And as I wrap up the show today, I want to remind each and every one of you that your mental health is of equal importance to your physical health. So if you're yet to bring the two into harmony together today, please do so now by taking a nice deep inhale a lovely big exhale. And please remember to shower yourself with the same kindness that you so easily give to others. I look forward to chatting with you next time on Brainwaves. If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. 
Huawei's helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Huawei's helpline on 1300 111 500. That's 1300 111 500. Huawei supports 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.